Ion 2020, episode 130. Have 2020 vision with Ion 2020, the podcast that brings you all the news and events in the lead up to the next presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date as we approach November 2020 with a libertarian perspective of all the candidates and their policies, along with the news. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's clear our vision. What's up, everybody? Ray Eaton here, the host of Ion 2020, your source for the news-related events, things that are going on in the 2020 election, broadcasting from sunny Liberty, North Carolina, heart of North Carolina. Uh, I am not from here. I just was stopping through and figured I'd go ahead and produce an episode for you guys and let you guys know a little bit about what's going on with the 2020 elections, which I do Monday through Friday for you, and uh, producing a new show every day just to make sure that you are up and up on what's going on with the elections, what's going on with the candidates, and what issues they are promoting now in order to confiscate more of your money and give it to other people. That's what they're always trying to do. You know they are. I do not know that Liberty is going to be hit by Elizabeth Warren's Wealth Enforcement Agency. Uh, you know how she was talking about that during the during the debate. They said, how are you going to tax people's wealth? And she says, we're going to spend lots of money on enforcement. So apparently she's going to start a new Bureau of uh, Wealth or something. I don't know. I mean, it just didn't make sense to me at all. But they will not be they will not be hit with that here in Liberty, I don't think. It doesn't seem like the most wealthy town whatsoever. Just a nice little hometown place, I guess. And to me, type of place that you'd probably want to live if, uh, if you like the small town feel. Uh, but anyway, guys, today... I wanted to tell you guys a little bit about some of the betting odds that are going on right now with the candidates and also some of the polls that I've found in the aftermath of the debates, right? Because now the cards have kind of settled for about the last week or so, and you're starting to see who's starting to rise in the polls, who's starting to go down in the polls and so forth, and that is what I want to talk to you guys about today. But the first thing I want to do is just say, like I always do, Go ahead and subscribe to the show if it's your first time listening. If you keep coming back, I certainly do appreciate that. We are getting more and more listeners every single day to the show. And that is not because of me, that's because of you. You guys must be sharing the show with your friends. You must be telling your friends about it. You must be uh, giving me those five-star ratings and reviews. That's that's probably the key as well to finding those algorithms. And also, you know, somehow I'm able to be seen on Apple now when you type in Libertarian. And that was very happy. That made me very happy when that happened. You guys know that. Go ahead, like I said, share the show with your friends and subscribe. And also give me that five-star rating review. If you'd like, you could also follow me, iontheempire.com, and type in iontheempire on pretty much any of the social networking sites. You would find me there as well. Then, if you really would like to uh, share some of your stories about what you're doing for the libertarian movement, I always say I'll give you the last minute of my show. All you gotta do is email me, ray at iontheempire.com, and you'll be able to send me that information about what you're doing, you know, just your story. That's all. Just a story about what you're doing. Keep it about a minute long or so if I was going to read it. And also, you can share your story with me through a voice message if you just send that to, go to anchor.fm backslash ion2020. 
And if you go there, you'll be able to send me a voice message as well as uh, make a make a donation to the show and support the show. So that's a that's a great way. If you if you really like what you hear, you could always support the show, and that is something that I appreciate anytime any anyone does as well. Uh, but anyway, hopping into the show, I wanted to let you guys know something that blew my mind when I saw it, actually, but I kind of knew it was going to happen. I was kind of feeling, you know, I said it during, after the second debate night, I said I thought that Kamala Harris was the one that was going to be winning one of those debates. I think that she's the one that was going to benefit the most from the debates, and certainly she has. Election betting odds. They had Joe Biden as the top Democrat about maybe two months ago. I did a show on this. Joe Biden was clearly the top guy. Then you had Elizabeth Warren and and Bernie Sanders and so forth. But the election betting odds, they're usually pretty strong at predicting who is going to be the President of the United States. And especially after these debate performances, right? You'll start seeing over time these people that are winning, they're going to start rising in the polls. Kamala Harris, right now, Democratic primary... 25.6% 25.6% chance to win the primary, according to electionbettingodds.com. Very surprising? Not really, actually. I was. She had the best debate performance of all of them. She was able to bring some personal messaging in to the debate. She was able to challenge Joe Biden. People were able to see that she's someone that can challenge Donald Trump. So to me, not surprising at all that she was the one that the election betting odds are now saying that she's going to win the Democratic primary. I actually have a little newspaper article that I read about Kamala Harris that I'm going to share with you guys later as well. And it kind of shows that she was talking up her childhood a little bit more than she should have been. She was kind of misleading on that. Because if you listen to the debate, you really did think that she was like one of the first people to be busting to segregated schools in her area of California, uh, which was absolutely not the case. And I'll, I'll talk more about that later on. Elizabeth Warren is the next person, 17.1% chance of winning the Democratic Party's primary. That's pretty, to me, very impressive. Very impressive that she is the second person, but she's one of the ones that won that debate as well. She won the first nice debate. And then Joe Biden drops down to third, 14.9% chance. Pete Buttigieg is the fourth person on the list. Not even Bernie Sanders, guys. Pete Buttigieg, 10.9% chance of winning. And then Bernie Sanders comes in 1% lower at 9.8% chance of winning. Followed by who else but Tulsi Gabbard, 3.7% chance. Andrew Yang, 3.7% chance. And Cory Booker at 1.9% chance. I cannot believe that Cory Booker is so low. And the reason why I think that is because he had a very good debate performance. He had a lot of talking time on that first night of debating, as well as he seemed like he was somebody that can take on Donald Trump, that's very matter-of-fact when he speaks, that has a lot of answers that Democrats want. That You know, he's speaking the language of the Democrats, right? But I don't know. He's, he's way down there, less than 2% along with Beto O'Rourke, Hillary Clinton, Castro, Cuomo, Klobuchar, Hickenlooper, all those people are way below 1% even. 
Inslee, Brown, Gillibrand. That's amazing. Gillibrand is way down there as well because she seemed like she had an okay performance. But yeah, they are giving her no props at all on electionbettingodds.com. And that is clearly showing that the only the only people that should still be in there then is Harris, Warren, Biden, Buttigieg, Sanders, Gabbard, Yang. Anyone that gets above 2%, maybe even Booker, but anyone that's uh, you know around 2% or higher, those are the ones that should stay in. The rest should get out. They're just wasting money at this point. Uh, unless they have a, a stellar debate performance next time. They have to. They have to they have to get their message across. They have to get out there on the debate stage and take time away without seeming rude, without seeing, seeming obnoxious. That's the only way they're going to get any type of attraction. But Kamala Harris, she might be the chosen person. Chance of winning the U.S. presidency in 2020. 46.7% chance that Donald Trump will win the presidency in 2020. He is the incumbent president, right? He is the standing president right now, so obviously he's going to be the highest rated person on that. Followed by Kamala Harris at 11.5%, Joe Biden at 8.9%, Warren at 8.5%, Buttigieg 5.4%, Sanders 5%, Yang 2.6%, Gabbard 1.7%, and Mike Pence, obviously, if Donald Trump is kicked out, he has a 1% chance of becoming the president. So anyway, looking at all of that, you're thinking to yourself, why is Joe Biden so much higher than, you know, or higher than Elizabeth Warren, higher than Pete Buttigieg if she was, or if he was lower than Warren originally? I'm not sure how they really make these, make these um, betting odds. I just know that that's how they, that's what they have figured out right now. Trump is obviously the highest, but Harris, man, she really did come from behind because she was like pulling at two or three percent in most polls before the or most of these things, I mean, even on the betting odds site, she was like, at, you know, 2 or 3% back then as well, so um, that's for her, you know, that is a win for her, and I'm sure that they are celebrating a little bit about her, though, she is a very liberal person, she's very progressive, she's one that's for making all private health insurance illegal, she's for, I mean, locking up people for, for marijuana charges, she did that in California all the time, forced schooling, things like that. She locked people up for truancy. But, I mean, that that's just normal stuff that a prosecutor does. It's not her that does it. It's probably the prosecutor's office that does it. But I know that she had some high levels in the California uh, judiciary system as well. So, I I mean, it, it, a lot of those decisions are probably her decisions as well. So, um, But she, she comes off as a person that can beat Donald Trump. She comes off as someone that's a strong woman. Someone that takes no prisoners, someone that is not going to mess around. And that's what they like about her, I'm sure, on these betting odds sites. I'm going to find you guys some polls as well that come out as they come out, because uh, every every time a new poll comes out on these different candidates and the, you know, the scientific polls that are going on, I'm going to let you guys know about them, because over the next month, you do want to see how the cards fall with regards to the presidential election. It usually takes about a week, though, after a debate. It takes about a week, or sometimes two weeks, to start getting accurate polling on these candidates because a lot of the polls, they'll start calling people over about a week to ten day period. So we're not going to see them five, six, seven days after the 
debates are over, you're going to start seeing them come out because then they have to go through all the polls and figure out and analyze them and so so forth, and then they'll finally publish them. So once these polls start getting published, I'll let you guys know about who is in the lead at that point. Let me tell you about Kamala Harris, though, the story that I found about her. She's been kind of getting beat up lately about some of the stuff that she said in the debate to Joe Biden. She got this big story that she was that little girl who had to be busting, and it helped me out as a fan. You know, it helped me out. It helped me to become a better person and all that stuff. Right? I was that little girl, and she was like tearing up the whole nine yards. When you look at it, she's one heck of an actor, if you ask me. She's one hell of an actor because, and I'm sure she had to do this as a prosecutor when she was you know, prosecuting people, especially like murder charges or rapes or whatever, right? She has to come up with these closing arguments and she has to be so emotional about it. So I imagine that that is a normal thing for her to do. Her story is a little bit off the wall. She's over-exaggerated it slightly. She is from a family that has a father that was a college professor at Sanford, mother very well-educated, Like, she was not living in a poor household. She had all the opportunity of pretty much anybody else that's just a general white person, I guess you would say. Um, She had all the opportunity. And and obviously, I cannot look at things from an African-American perspective because I am not African-American. So I don't know what these people people that are in minority groups, I don't know how they feel when they walk into a grocery store and maybe get followed around or they perceive that they're getting followed around. I don't look at things through those eyes. I don't walk into a grocery store and if I if I start walking down an aisle and someone happens to follow me, I'm not going to think to my, look back and think to myself, oh, they sent somebody in to follow me that's in just regular old clothes. But an African American person might think that because of past experience. So obviously I cannot make that distinction. But she was growing up in a very, not a wealthy household, but an educated household where her parents valued education, where her parents were both working at the university, where she probably lived in an upper income household though. And she was talking about being bused into these schools and so forth, and the way that she said it was telling. And let me get into the article that I'm talking about. This is from pjmedia.com by Tyler O'Neill, June 29th, 2019. Kamala Harris exaggerates her history on busing. It says, Senator Kamala Harris enjoyed a standout moment in the second night of the 2020 Democratic presidential debate on Thursday when she attacked former Vice President Joe Biden on the issue of federal mandated busing to racially integrate schools. Harris repeated a powerful talking point about why the issue is personal for her with the memorable tagline, that little girl was me. So let me stop there for a second. Some people dispute whether even busing was a valuable thing to integrate the schools. 
They say it was probably worse for the kids. These kids are bu- being bused for an hour, hour and a half to these new schools and so forth, where it probably did not help them out because of the fact that they're exhausted when they get there. They probably underperformed at these schools and so forth, right? Like some people dispute whether it was even a good thing or not. But Joe Biden could not defend himself on that because it's been commonly accepted that you just don't question that stuff, guys. It is. That's just the way it is in politics. Now, you don't question the government doing something like that. You just assume that it was a good thing when a lot of people disputed it even at the time whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. So moving on with the article, the only the one problem, she was consistently exaggerating the story. At one point, making the claim that if she hadn't attended an integrated elementary school, she wouldn't have become a U.S. senator. In that standout debate performance, she overstated the claim on busing. Harris noted that Biden worked with segregationist senators to oppose federally mandated busing to achieve racial integration. And there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools, and she was bused to school every day, and that little girl was me, end quote, she said. Again, Harris repeated the claim, I was part of the second class to integrate Berkeley, California school public schools almost two decades after Brown versus Board of Education. When she said that, I felt sympathy for her because I thought she was like some kind of civil rights hero at that point. Like she was one of those people walking down the road arm in arm with Martin Luther King type thing. That's what I was thinking in my mind. That's the perception that I had when she said that. So I'm sure most Democrats who are way more trusting a government than I am, most Democrats who are willing to listen to politicians and think that they are there only because of the public good, there's no self-interest there. They're only there to help the public. Most Democrats probably thought that took that when she said those things, and we're crying about it. That's why she's moving up in the polls so fast. Because of that moment. Because people really did think that the story that she was telling was completely true. But that is not the truth. It's actually a hugely different scenario than, of what really happened going on. As the Sacramento Bee's Ryan Anderson pointed out, Harris was indeed among the second class of students at Thousand Oaks Elementary School to participate in fully integrated busing program, but she was far from the first black child to attend that school. Worse for her debate, claims other schools in the Berkeley Unified School District had been fully integrated long before she went to that school. So she wasn't even one of the first black children to go to that school. It just happened that it was a mostly all-white school and there was a few black children and they brought more black children in there, bust them in, to have them go. But you would make it seem, you would think, completely different story when you listen to her say that, right? Moving on. Harris can rightly say she was part of the second class to integrate her elementary school, but she cannot say she was part of the second class to integrate her public schools. This is an important distinction. She was not part of the second class to integrate Berkeley, California public schools. She was not. You know, she was overstating it. She was making it, trying to make an impact with the audience. She was acting. 
she was putting on fake tears in order to get an impact. She's a politician. That's all she is. You guys know that. And it's just amazing to me that I even fell for it in some way. I mean, I don't sympathize with that stuff, though. I mean, I, I sympathize with the plight of the African-American community back then. I still, you know, there's still a lot of things that are integrated into our system. When Harris has widely been considered the winner of her exchange with Biden and of the debate in general. Her campaign seized in the moment, tweeting the photo of Harris as a little girl selling that little girl was me t-shirts for $30 on her campaign website. The problem is Kamala Harris was, at best, exaggerating in those two statements about busing and integration. And let me, let me pause right there and say this. The way that I took that when she said it, the way that I felt when she said that, I thought that she was one of the first people to be integrated into the public schools in that area. She was one of the first black kids. Like, they had news reporters out there in the school taking pictures of her walking in to a bunch of white people saying, no blacks are out, allowed in here. Like, that's how I felt when she said that. She is just she is just blatantly doing this for political reasons. That's what, the reason why she did that, is for political reasons to push Joe Biden out. And she did it. She did it very effectively. Because the people that watch that, the people that are now looking at her, they are not going to look at this critically. They are not reading these news articles or anything like that. So it worked. It really did. And that's probably good for her going against someone like Donald Trump, though. Like, she might be able to take Donald Trump to task on those things with the fake crocodile tales, with the over-exaggerated stories, and so forth. This is an interesting article. You guys should check it out. And I will link it on the show notes page, all right? So the last thing I want to talk about is this, guys. The reason why we get candidates that lie is because politicians lie, right? Obvious. I mean, we know that politicians lie constantly. That's what they do. They are trusted by the people, though, as people who are public servants, right? Politicians, they say they're public servants. Somehow people believe that they are only looking out for the public interest, that they have no personal motivation, only the public motivation, to do what they do. They take these tiny little salaries of $250,000 a year and these golden parachutes of, you know, f- free medicine and, a, and, and as long as they serve a couple of years in Congress, they're going to get this really nice retirement package and then they're going to be able to go and they're going to work for millions of dollars a year for some lobbying organization because they have an in with all the senators and Congress people, right? They're only there for the public good. That's all they're there for is to serve the people and serve their constituents. And there's no, there's, there's no selfishness involved in it at all. That's it. There's, it's just all for you guys and none for me, right? That's how people feel about politicians in this country. I don't know why that's the case, because I remember growing up, I thought that, I mean, my father always said that politicians are scumbags and liars and cheaters. It was not an honorable thing to be called a politician. And for some reason, people believe that these politicians are good people. And they're not. They're there for selfish motivations. They're there to stay in power. 
They're there to take control of more stuff. And it benefits them to promise more and more stuff. Because that's how you get reelected. The more you promise, the more you deliver, the more likely you are to get elected. It's a perverse incentive. But that's what politicians do. And somehow they've created this idea in people's minds that they're there for the public good. That they are running a campaign in order to help secure people and protect them and to take care of families and everyone else. That's, that's the perverse incentive because that's how they get reelected. That's how they get more power for their party. The parties have taken this over. If you're not, if you're, if you're not the darling of the party, ask Ron Paul, you're not going to get elected. Ask Bernie Sanders, you're not going to get elected. The party's going to be fighting against you if you're not a darling of the party. The parties are the problem in this country because that's where all the power is at. I don't care who you are, if you don't have the party behind you, if you don't have the party elite behind you, nothing's going to work. Donald Trump is the one exception, it seems like to me, where the party elite were not behind him and he still was able to get elected. He was still able to get the nomination. There was the never-Trumpers and all that. You didn't have the never-Romneyers. You didn't have the never-McCainers. You didn't have the never-Bushers. You had the never-Trumpers, though. So... That's the one exception to the rule. But other than that, I mean, other than that, if you don't have the party elite behind you, that's, but that's neither here nor there. And the thing that we need to realize is that the reason why politicians are like that is because that is the amount of the power that they've been able to achieve over time now, and they're going to continue to try to take more power. And it's on us to start educating people and telling them, that these politicians are not out there for the public good. That they are not there to provide more security to you. That they are not there to provide Medicare and free college tuition to you. They're only doing that because it gives them votes. It gets them reelected. There's They're completely selfish people. If they wanted to provide something to someone, go out there and start a non-profit organization and provide food to the poor. You'll save more people that way. But they want to confiscate from others to give to others, and that's it. They want to confiscate from one to give to another so that they can get reelected. So they could seem like they are the person that cares about the poor. When in reality, they care about themselves. You and me, we are the ones that know this. We are the ones that understand that politicians are corrupt. And that's what we need to do is make sure that everyone else is aware of that as well. In some way you can make that happen. Don't just go out there and start telling everyone politicians are corrupt and they're scumbags and don't vote for them. That's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to get them to see in a reasonable way that maybe what they have been taught in the past is wrong. Maybe somehow you can get through to that person, but it has to be in a way that makes them feel like they are discovering it for themselves. That's how people change. That's and when I'm in sales, my goal is to have conversations with people in order to get them to understand for themselves that the current way that they're doing things is not the most efficient way, 
that it's not the easiest way, that it's not the way that's going to get them the best service. But by doing it a different way, obviously using my product, right, that they're going to have a better result. And that's how we talk to people. We have to get them to understand it. We have to get them off of the defensive, though. That's When I'm in sales, I cannot get people on the defensive. I have to get in there and let them discover it for themselves. And that's how we're going to make a change in this world, by communicating people to people in a way that will get them to understand it. And I'm not sure exactly how to do it. Every person has a different way that they perceive the world. It's for you to dig into how they perceive the world, find out why they think that politicians are, you know, worthy to be trusted, first of all, and then dig down into it and maybe plant a few seeds in their mind. It takes time. Everyone doesn't become an anarcho-capitalist overnight. Everyone doesn't become a minarchist libertarian overnight. Most people start off, like me, in 1999, as a... Yeah, I think I'm libertarian. And then over the next 10 to 12 years, I finally realize how libertarian I am. I follow libertarian candidates. I read libertarian books for a while. But I never took it politically too much. Like, I never really became too involved in politics during that time. Because I just didn't care too much. But I knew that I was libertarian. I knew economics, I knew that bad economics policy, you know, I, I, I knew that bad economic policy is not good for the country and good for the economy, and I could look at a candidate and I could critique them based upon that stuff. But it wasn't until, you know, five, four, five, six years ago where I really started to get deeper into the libertarian movement and understanding things and trying to teach other people about libertarianism in some way as well. So that's what we can do, guys. We can get out there and talk to people. That's the best thing we can do is get out there and talk to people on a regular basis, share our views with people in a way that does not put them on the defensive and gets them talking. Because when they talk... That's when you're tilling that soil. And eventually, when you're tilling that soil long enough, you can start planting seeds in their brain, seeds in their mind, that'll sprout into maybe them buying a Murray Rothbard book, guys. (laughs) Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and get off my high horse, and I am going to go ahead and let you guys move on to your next podcast or whatever you want to listen to. Uh, But go ahead tomorrow. Come on back by subscribing, uh, and then, you know, Give me a five-star rating and review. I always ask for that as well. And share your stories with me, Ray at IonTheEmpire.com. And if you do that, you can come back tomorrow for Clear Vision for 2020. You guys know that I am always trying to feature people on the show or organizations on the show that are making a difference. DownsizeDC.org. Man, are they making a difference there? I mean, you could hear it in the name of the organization, DownsizeDC.org. What they're trying to do is get legislation passed, and they have a couple that are sponsored already by members of Congress in ways that are going to make it so that, I mean, one of them, one of the things that they're trying to do is they're trying to make it so that every bill 
is only one item on that bill. And to me, that would be a very smart idea. It would get rid of all of the BS that's in these bills that are just like attached to a bill already. Like there's a good bill that has a bunch of bad stuff attached to it. It'll get rid of those things. Uh, you guys need to check out downsizedc.org. They are trying to downsize DC. And I think that is something that we need to focus in on as well as libertarians is electing people that are willing to vote on bills like that in order to downsize DC. So check them out, downsizedc.org. And I'll have that in the show notes page today.